I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Uh, look, we're in fun drive mode, and I'm broadcasting uh, almost exclusively to WPFW in Washington, D.C. Of course, we are on Facebook Live, uh, and this show does go up as a podcast, so uh, there are many ways to, to catch the show. Normally, we're on WBAI um, uh, during the week as well, but uh, they are doing a different fundraising campaign there, so um, so. Washington, I'm all yours. So let me, uh, let me make my pitch. Look, WPFW is listener-supported radio. We depend and count on your contributions as listeners for the, the, the overwhelming majority of, of the funding that uh, is required to run a radio station. Now, many of us are, are volunteer producers, so we're not paid staff. We... Um, we actually contribute to the station with content and, and, and again, trying to bring listeners to, uh, to the station. Um, but we don't know how successful we are at this. One of the ways that, that we are measured by our success is uh, how many people call in during our, our shows during a fund drive or how many people attribute their donations to a specific show. And I know that's tough because, look, WPFW has a, has a, a broad... Um, array of programming and you may listen to this station for any number of reasons and maybe this show maybe resistance radio with john kane is one of them uh and and it's tough because in a way you're, you're almost casting a ballot when you when you make a donation and you mention your favorite show or shows um but i will say that uh shows like mine that have been accommodated by WPFW and WBAI and a few other Pacifica stations on occasion, uh, count on your acknowledgement of, of these shows. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, get a few things off my mind today, but, but I'm going to spend most of the program today really trying to convince you, the listener, and look, and even if you are listening on Facebook or on, as a podcast, know that WPFW is a station that makes this program possible. Um, look, I do podcasts and I, I could do them with or without radio, but the fact that, that we broadcast in Washington, D.C., in a market that from a native standpoint is so very hard to be heard in is significant. And the fact that WPFW has provided uh, so much uh, airtime and uh, grid space on their, uh, on their schedule for native content for, for years, not just since, since, not just for me, but even before uh, before I came to WPFW, I think it's 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 something that should be acknowledged and commended because there aren't a whole lot of platforms out there that will carve out a space for uh, for native voices. Look, we talk about things like land acknowledgement, right? And land acknowledgement can be kind of a, a feel good thing that people do to acknowledge that you know that native people once once lived in a certain space. And what we're really asking for, and what we're trying to push for, isn't just an acknowledgement that we had space, but an acknowledgement in giving us space. And the fact that WPFW does that for my voice. And my voice, I don't represent the Mohawk Nation or the Seneca Nation where I live. I'm a native person who lives on native territory, who is fully engaged in 
uh, of many native issues, and and some of them, you know, are become you know become fodder for the shows that I do, and some of them don't. Sometimes it's it's you know it's it's me going someplace. It's it's me standing up. Um, I, I recall a time that uh, when I don't know more was in its heyday, and we were doing round dances at uh, at various malls across the United States and Canada. And we decided to do a round dance at the Galleria Mall in the suburbs of Buffalo. And uh, it turned into a bit of a conflict. And they sent in the police. And, you know, and I physically stood in the way of the police from stopping our singers. And that's not a radio show. That's, that's me doing what I do. You know, I oftentimes don't describe myself as a radio show host, but rather an activist with a microphone. But the fact is that WBFW gives me that microphone. It gives me that opportunity to talk about the issues that concern us. And I'm gonna mention, mention a few today, but I, I, I must really press you, the listener, and again, regardless of where you're listening, to support the radio stations that carry the show and support WPFW. So let me, go to the, let me give you the pledge line. The pledge line is 202-588-9739. That's 202-588-9739. Or you can go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. You know, and, and when you go to the, the, the website, you can follow the prompts on how to donate, and there's a variety of ways. Or if you're on the phone, if, you, if you're talking to an operator at the, at the pledge line, you can say, look, I want to do a time donation. I can't do it now, but I can do it at the end of the month. Or you can do, say uh, you want to do something monthly. Be a sustainable member of the radio station and do a, a $10, $15, $20 a month uh, uh, donation that comes off your credit card or directly out of your checking account, something that not unlike the subscriptions you may pay for for streaming services on your television or whatever. Um, we'd like to be put in that category as something that you enjoy and that you rely on, but you're willing to support as well. I mean, I, I know radio, for all intents and purposes, sounds free, um, but it isn't. There's usually a ton of advertisements on other, uh, on other radio uh shows or radio stations and this is listener supported radio it doesn't have advertisements what you have is you have me every you know every couple of months um pressing you to make a donation to uh to this fine station so um that's again what what i'm doing here today uh, we are in fun drive mode um and of course the the pacifica stations and wbai and wpfw for all intents and purposes we're always in some in, in a fun drive mode we're always trying to generate uh, bits of revenue in a really tough market, a market that is competing against podcasts, is competing against you know social media. It's, it, it's competing against so many other aspects um, or ways that people get their news and get their information. And we're not trying to, obviously I'm, I'm doing both. I'm, or I'm, I'm on social media, I'm on uh, as a podcast. And, and of course the show is also a radio show, but there's something about radio that's a little different because you know, we, we talk about it being a broadcast. And you know, one of my friends at WBAI, uh, uh, Michael G, is always saying, the difference here is a broadcast means we're throwing the signal out there that you can catch by accident. You know, when you're, if you're tuning in for a podcast or going to a specific place, whether it's Facebook or anyplace else, Twitter, to find content, you're looking for that content. Here, you could be in your radio just scrolling with your, uh, with your tuning dial and, and pick this station up. And all of a sudden, here's something you've never heard before. And that's what we hope. And for me, the, the words that I get back 
um, that are most encouraging is when I hear somebody say, I never heard that before. You know, in spite of my education, you know, in spite of who I am and what I do for a living, it's unbelievable that I could go through my whole life uh, and, and never know some of the details of that genocide that was committed against Native people. And of course, oftentimes we're talking about the past, but we've, what I have the opportunity to do here with this show is explain to you, the audience, how we're still enduring many um, assimilation prog uh, you know, programs and, uh, and efforts. We are still fighting for our autonomy and our distinction. And it's, a, it's, it's almost a battle for identity. One of the reasons that I take such a strong role in the mascot issue is that while it may not seem as, you know, it may not seem as significant as missing and murdered indigenous women or our children or some of our battles, uh, you know, over environment and land use and that kind of stuff. But it lies at the core of all of it because if we have generation after generation of non-Native people being educated through mascots, that's essentially saying that we don't exist anymore, that we're just relics of the past, or that we only represent a timestamp in America's history, that we don't have our own history. We're just a blip on your radar. And so fighting the mascot issue is an opportunity for me to address everybody about the most basic, and this is a tough one because people, people have trouble with this, the most basic, um, aspects of racism that Native people face, because it's different. Uh, you know, the, again, everybody knows the blackface is wrong, right? And, and that's, that's something that, that people have really come to understand and acknowledge. But somehow showing up at a Kansas City football game in red face or a headdress or, you know, beating on a drum, playing Indian, that somehow that's okay. Well, if blackface is wrong, isn't redface wrong? So this is part of the education. This is part of what we're trying to, to you know, um, demonstrate to people is that there is still a unique racism that Native people experience. And part of that is because there is a refusal by the United States and Canada and, and frankly, countries around the world to, to fully acknowledge our distinction. Look, we had treaties. We had plenty of treaties signed by countries, including the United States and Canada and Great Britain and France and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of treaties. But somewhere along the line, their effort to negotiate in written word on a document was really geared towards taking advantage of us. And they looked at some of those treaties as merely placeholders until they could find another way to, to remove us or you know, disassemble us or diminish our populations. And you know, so that's, that's what our experience is. So you don't hear this on a whole lot of radio stations, but you hear it on WPFW because this is the, the truth. This is that uncomfortable truth that all those who oppose critical race theory and so many other uh, banning certain books and that kind of things and so many other things that having to do with what our children, how our children are educated, they're actually trying to deny. This is the erasure. When, when people talk about, well, geez, if you get rid of native mascots, aren't you erasing um, some aspect of their existence in, in modern culture? No, you're not, because that's not an existence. That's, that's a fantasy. That's, that's a creation of predominantly non-Native people, white people, um, creating an image that they want to own, that they want to control. And that ownership could not be put more on display when we tell them it's wrong and you need to stop. 
because all of a sudden they view us, native people, as attacking them or taking something from them. Or worse yet, they'll argue that we aren't even the ones driving this, that this is somehow a part of the woke liberal um, agenda to, you know, to take things away, uh, you know, from take away American freedoms and that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, I've got to argue every day that, look, this is our fight. We're glad for the allies that we have, but this is our fight. But among the allies that we have are radio stations like WPFW. It is so significant to have an opportunity to speak on the air in Washington, D.C. Because I, not that our world centers around Washington, D.C., but the, look, those are, the, those are the halls of power for the United States. And what happens in Washington, D.C. doesn't just trickle down to the, at the state level, but it, you know, it impacts it significantly. And we've looked to Washington to correct its mistakes, not to, to throw us something. We're not asking for anything. We're asking to correct their mistakes. But we, we never could get Washington to take a strong stance on the mascot issue. We, and we get tepid responses to everything from missing and murdered indigenous women to we're finally getting some level of acknowledgement or uh, a promise for a reckoning on the residential schools. But we're talking about this, those things existed for almost 200 years. And we're only now finally starting to get a, a little bit of acknowledgement of that. And part of that is because of what's been happening on the Canadian side. So it is incumbent on us to light a fire under the powers that be in Washington, D.C. And I don't suspect that, that every lobbyist, lawyer, and uh, politician is listening to the show in Washington, but I know that l you listeners are, and, and that you can direct some of these, uh, these people to, to the messages that, that we deliver. I mean, this is, WPFW is Jazz and Justice Radio, and there's a connection between jazz and justice. Jazz is, is an expression of freedom. It, it, it is musical freedom. It's also closely tied to blues, and the blues is, is, is about addressing uh, injustices, whether it's a personal hardship or whether it's a broader hardship. I opened this, the show with uh, Res Blues by Murray Porter. And, and, he, and he talks about, in, in that song and so much of his other music, what Native people go through. So the fact that we're on a station that plays you know, jazz and, uh, and has these social justice uh, programs like this one is, is an opportunity. And, you know, look, all I can t tell you, tell you, the listener, is you cannot count on us always being here. The only way you can be sure that we will always be here is that you contribute to the station and you make a notation of the shows that you listen to. Whether I'm your favorite show or not, acknowledging that this is a show that you are donating on behalf of is, is a powerful message that you send to WPFW. Uh, and, and, and that's my ask. My ask is that you support this radio station, not because it pays me, but because it provides a service that is not just for the DC listening area. Look, if you're a radio station in Washington, DC, you're, you're, you're serving a national, um, you're, you're providing a national service because you're providing an opportunity for, for our voices, you know, our programs, to be heard in the nation's capital. And, and that's, that's significant. So I, I think it's, it's really, really important that, that those of you who listen to the station, and, and again, even if you're listening on Facebook or on, on a podcast, if you, uh, you know, I don't do a whole lot of outreach asking people to support me, but I will ask you to support the, the stations that carry me. So 
Um, I ask you to go to, again, to WPFW, um, Jazz and Justice Radio. You can go to the, the pledge line. It's 202-588-9739. Or go online to WPFWDC.org slash donate. And, and like I said, there's a variety of ways in which you can, you can make a donation. Um, and I, I ask that you dig deep and do what you can. You know, I know we came out of a, the COVID pandemic and a lot of economic hardship came from that, but I think people are doing a little bit better now. And in spite of whatever the news communicates about the state of the economy, you know what you have and you know what you have available. And if you can spring 10 or $20 a month and become a sustaining member of, uh, of WPFW, then that's, that's a tremendous uh, gift to us. And it enables us to do things um, that without you, we can't. And so when I tell you that you can't, you can't assume that resistance radio is always going to be here or that WPFW is always going to be here. Uh, you know, this is not the world that we live in anymore. We see newspapers dropping by the wayside. We see radio stations failing. We see, you know, uh, any number of uh, news sources that are, I mean, look, if you look on television, news is now entertainment. It isn't even really news anymore. And so you're, you're somewhat limited on your access to good information. And, and, for, and for me, regardless of what my messaging is, I ask that you verify. You know, if I, if I, if I give a date or an, an incident or, you know, something that took place historically or even recently, I ask that you do the research. And, uh, and look, if, I, if you think I got it wrong, let's talk. Let's, let's have a conversation. Send me a message. Communicate to me. And, um, and, and that's the hope. All right, I did say that I was going to you know, talk about a few things. First, I got to tell, uh, acknowledge that I am on the mend. I um, experienced a major setback in what I thought was going to be a, um, an advancement in health. I went and got a full knee replacement on my left knee. And about 10 days after surgery, an infection set in. And I am really struggling to recover from that. You know, I came down to the studio today to do the show, but I'm pretty much locked at home. I've got a, um, a pick line installed in my arm so I can get uh, intravenous uh, antibiotics pumped in. My wife injects me three times a day with, with antibiotics. I was laid up in the hospital for over a week, and, and I've been close to being bedridden at home um, for, for several weeks as well. It's it basically, it took the month of February away, so I, I missed Black History Month. I was, I was gone. Uh, either I was gone in pain or I was gone either in the hospital or, um, you know, or bedridden at, at home. So um, I missed out on opportunities to talk about not only some of the collaboration between Native people and Black people that is a major part of not just history but contemporary uh, works that we're, that we're, all, we're all pushing. Um, and I missed a few, you know, uh, anniversary events, you know, Wounded Knee, uh, uh, Siege, and, 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 and other things like that. But I'm doing my best to get back, and you know, it, every day is still a little bit of a struggle. I still struggle with significant knee pain, um, and I'm managing that with, with medication, and, uh, um, and I really haven't been, been able to start therapy yet. So, that's, so that, that's kind of a nutshell of what I talked about last week. Uh, I, I, you know, I find myself in a, in a unique position. I'm 63 years old, and I've never spent more than a couple of days in a hospital. And 
So the idea that I've been laid up for over a month is uh, is really peculiar for uh, for me, uh, and it's um, that in of itself is is a bit of a struggle. So, but uh, I'm here now, and and I really wanted to um, do this pitch for the, uh, the this fund drive. But uh, you know, I figure I can also do some updating, and and here's the, here's a couple of updates. Um, I talked about the mascot issue quite a bit on this uh, on this program, and. I have been um, a significant part of many of the debates in schools across the country, it, not just in New York, but in, you know, in Connecticut, um, um, Maryland, <laughs> uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, uh, California, uh, uh, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. So these are, these are oftentimes places where a school board member or perhaps even students have reached out to me to ask me to... Uh, to weigh in and, and explain what the native, a native position or the native position is on, on this. And of course, that's pretty easy to, to, to say because we have, you know, files of um, statements and resolutions from, from native peoples, um, from nations, uh, na uh, native organizations, NCAI, uh, National uh, Native American Journal Association, uh, USET, all these organizations that have really weighed in on the mascot issue as far as how they, as a native organization or a nation, view the use of native mascots. And, and, and it's been universally uh, a condemnation of the practice, um, as it should, you know, as, as anybody who really looks at it should, should come to that same conclusion. But certainly that's the way native peoples um, and their representatives have, uh, have reached out to everything from the Washington football team and the Cleveland baseball team to uh, various schools you know, throughout, the, throughout the country. Um, but we're not the only ones who weighed in. We also saw child development experts, uh, psychologists. The, the New York Association of School Psychologists weighed in, and they actually supported a ban. So this, uh, you know, we've seen uh, mental health experts, child development experts, and of course, Native people all weigh in on this stuff. So when I when I go out to speak, I don't even have to tell what my personal opinion is. I can just present the facts and the evidence as it's been, been building up over the years. But we have gained support in this. I mean, the last polling that was done specifically on the Washington football team said that 80% of Americans were fine with the name. I mean, and I don't want to make that just 80% of white people. I'm just saying 80% of those polled thought that uh, that... And I, and I can't verify and, and attest to the veracity of the poll, but, um, but that's, you know, that was a number that was given out, I think, 20 years ago. I think we've moved that needle, but by no means are we in the majority. When we get involved in a school debate over the mascot issue, um, we see what the majority of a community, how the majority of a community, and, and most of the time I'm talking about white communities, and they really dig in. Now, not everybody, but I'm just saying, the, the, especially the loud and vocal uh, ones of the group, they, they have grabbed onto this native identity and they swear, well, I'm gonna be an Indian for the rest of my life. Yeah, but you're not native, you're, you're white. And, and then of course we get those who say, well, my grandmother was a Cherokee princess or I did uh, 23andMe or Ancestry.com and I've got 0.12 percent of uh, Native American, I don't, I don't even know if that's what they actually say, but uh, those, those DNA swabs, but we, we hear all of, all of this stuff. But what is clear 
and definitive is that the more a person, a native person, is associated with, their com with a native community, with their culture, with their nation, with their people, the more they oppose this idea that, that non-native people are, um, are grabbing onto uh, our identities and claiming it for themselves and denying ours. So this is obviously an issue that, I, that I've spent a great deal of time on and, and with. And uh, ultimately, for all the schools that I, I had weighed in on, I, I finally decided that I had to, go, had to go after my old high school, my own high school, because I hadn't yet. And so I went to Cambridge, New York, which is up near Saratoga, Albany area of New, upstate New York. And, um, and I formally asked them to get rid of their, their mascot. And, and it turned into, into quite a, a community row, I, I would say. Um, but I did have some, some people, including uh, school board members, but certainly people in the community who heard what I had to say and wanted to pursue uh, this thing being retired. And that fight uh, got taken all the way up to the New York uh, State Education Department or Department of Education, um, and uh, and ultimately has resulted in a in a statewide ban, um, not issued by the legislature, but issued by the, their Department of Education, and they did so with you know with a with a couple of cases that they uh, that bolstered their authority to do so, and in the wake of the initial announcement, they uh, had announced that they were still um, going through the rulemaking process associated with this. And, and a part of what they want to do is to create a native or indigenous mascot advisory council. And I was asked to be on that council. Uh, and I'm probably the only person, native person on that council that um, is not a tribal representative of, of some sort, a, a chief or you know, a counselor or, or something like that. Um, but I'm clearly one of, the, one of the folks who have been engaged in this issue. And we had our first meeting yesterday. And, and I thought it went pretty well. We went through introductions and you know, our mission and an example of the kinds of things that we are going to review. Um, and, and, and one of those good examples is um, uh, Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen, which most people associate with racing, but Washington, Watkins Glen is a little town at the bottom of Seneca Lake and their Watkins Glen School District have called themselves the Senecas for many, many years. In fact, they had this huge banner in their gymnasium that said, welcome to Seneca Nation. Uh, the identity uh, appropriation was dramatic. And the Seneca Nation actually weighed in on, on this and, and asked them to change this, you know, and has been asking for it for years. The, what they had decided to do before this ban came through last November was that they were going to get rid of all of the native imagery, and they were, but they were going to keep the name. And, and in the wake of this ban that was issued in November, they have tried to petition or, or, or at least write to uh, New York Department of Education and say, look, we're calling ourselves the Senecas, but we're only using that as a reference to the lake, not to the people. Yeah, but you're, you actually have an S on it. You say Senecas, like... Like these are a group of individuals. <laughs> I mean, there's no plural in the lake, right? Uh, so they're, they're trying to make an argument that they, they're now using um, a logo that's supposed to represent like waves, water waves in the, in the lake. 
and that they are no longer going to associate uh, any native imagery with it. And they're hoping that's enough for them to keep the name. And if, so uh, a commission like ours or a council like ours is not only there to, um, to hear what NYSED's position is, but to, but to be the native voice that, uh, that speaks to these issues. And clearly, uh, Watkins Glen is not dodging a bullet by claiming that they're somehow um, associated with a lake rather than the Seneca people. Um, but you know, that's an example of the kinds of things that we're, that we're going to um, be looking at and, and evaluating because there are some schools that are going to say, well, we're, we want to call ourselves the warriors, but we want to use a, uh, a Greek warrior or a Trojan warrior. Where does that fit in? And, and look, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss all of that stuff. But right now, the way um, the New York uh, State uh, Education Department is, is utilizing this council is they're using us as the indicator on how they should rule. Now, it's not to say that we have veto power or that we, or, you know, that we are the deciding factor, but we are certainly highly among them. When they want a native view on the, how these schools are trying to manipulate around this thing, they, they are turning to us. And, and so that's, that's a positive thing, and that's something that we feel you know, you know, pretty, pretty good about. Now, we're not employed. We're not being paid for this. So I don't want anybody thinking, oh, yeah, you went to work for, the, for New York State. No, I didn't. I, I saw an opportunity to be a solid voice to make sure that they don't waffle. Um, and, and I feel pretty confident that the, that the folks from, the commissioner, from Commissioner Rosa and the Deputy Commissioner James Baldwin and, and all the folks uh, that we've met so far with, uh, with NYSED, that they are not going to be trifled with on this. They are going to take a pretty strong position on these schools. And, and look, they, there may be some time allowances, you know, but not, I mean, look, the commissioner 20 years ago told, uh, told schools in New York you had to get rid of it, but he never gave a deadline. And so many didn't. Many did, but many didn't. And in fact, some, if anything, expanded their use of these native mascots. And, and they're the ones who are crying the loudest about this. So, um, so, uh, so we did. We had our first meeting of the, uh, of the New York State Education Department Indigenous Mascot Advisory Council yesterday. And I, and I thought it went pretty well. I look forward to, to working with this group. And it's, and it's pretty much a group of native people with some folks from NYSED who are, uh, are there to, you know, to pick our brains and to answer questions uh, relating to the, to the rules that they're putting out on the thing. But uh, you know, I feel pretty strongly about um, this mascot issue. I wasn't always in love with the idea of having a mandate, a government mandate, but I came to realize that as individual communities fought this thing out, they were damaging themselves. They were, they were sometimes, in, in some cases, actually physically hurting each other, but they were, they were hurting their town. Uh, this was also being used um, by the right as, you know, again, another attack by the woke liberal media or liberal agenda or whatever else. And, and so we, we started seeing a real effort at the, even at the school board level, with the right trying to push a right-wing agenda in the, at the school boards to, to affect everything from, you know, from curriculum and what books can be held in their libraries and, and you know, and the, and the like. So it's, uh, it's a critical time to, to at least take this volatile issue away from the communities and say, look, you just can't do it anymore. You, you, we know blackface is wrong, well, redface is wrong. And so that's, that's been part of my messaging. And of course, for me, I use the, the mascot issue as a, as a means to address 
other issues like like the residential school issue. I mean, the irony that that children uh, were encouraged to play Indian. White little white kids could put their mom's makeup on and they could call themselves Indians and do you know uh, war hoops at their at their games and do all of this stuff that they that they created as a, a native identity and could hold it for themselves. This was all happening at the same time that Native kids were, were having their identity ripped away from them. And I mean beaten out of them. Kill the Indian, save the man was the policy. And we're only beginning to see the level of death that was associated with these schools. Um, and, and that doesn't even address the, what the survivors you know, had to carry with, us, uh, with them. So, um, but using the mascot issue is a way to, to introduce even that topic. Same with missing and murdered indigenous women. If you're obsessed over native identity, including fetishizing over the female native identity, then that's gonna contribute to things like the fact that native women experience sexual assault at the, at the highest rate of any other demographic. A four times greater chance of experiencing a sexual assault than anybody else in the United States. Canada too, for that matter. And that has to do with the, the way that we are viewed the way that we were viewed historically and dismissed contemporarily. And, you know, so this isn't just, um, this, this, I mean, this isn't a, a meaningless fight. This is a very meaningful fight. Um, and, and hopefully that what comes out of it, and I've, and I've learned through New York State Department of Education, is that they actually have um, people that, that are working towards indigenous education and how to deal with everything from language programs in schools and that kind of stuff. But there needs to be a little bit more of education, not just for, for native people in the school system, but for the non-native you know, kids that are in school. Because I gotta tell you, they grow up to be adults. They end up being the politicians and the, and the, and the judges and the cops and the lawyers and the, you know, the, you know the, the politicians at the local level and at the national level, they end up being the industry leaders that we have to contend with and we have to battle with over things like who we are because they've been fed this false sense of identity of what a native person is. And so, I mean, there are people that are harmed by schools um, really imposing this, this kind of stereotypical image of, of, of one group of people. And we, not only are we harmed, but the non-native uh, student is deprived of a proper education about who we are um, and the fact that we're still here. So, but that, that's an issue that, uh, that I'll, uh, you know, I'll continue to talk about on this program. And it's one of the reasons that why I think it is so important to have um, a radio station in Washington, D.C. carrying us because you know, I, I know solid Native voices are not pounding this every day the way perhaps I do. And the fact that I have an opportunity to do it on a weekly basis on this radio station is, is an opportunity that I'm not going to squander. And you know, I'm even going to work through this rehab that I'm going through right now because I think it's, it's, it's just so important. Um, it is not a battle that, we've, that we're fighting completely on our own. We have had, we've gained a lot of allies over the years, non-Native allies, white, black, brown. Uh, we were the beneficiary of some of the Black Lives Matter movement. I, it was in the wake of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement that Washington finally bailed. Washington, Dan, Daniel Snyder, the owner of Washington football team, swore that he would never change the name. And he said, you can print it in caps. Well, a few, year, a few years later, 
with, a, with enough pressure put on some of the financial interests like Target and Walmart and Amazon and FedEx, uh, Washington was basically, you know, they had no choice. They were given ultimatums by, by the very people that, that um, market their merchandise and, uh, you know, and, and, and provide, you know, some of their support. So, um, you know, I got to thank those powers that be within the Black Lives Matter movement to include us. I mean, we also benefited because we saw Columbus statues coming down right alongside Confederate statues, which was also a positive thing. But we also have a strong, um, you know, white, uh, I mean, every one of these communities, there is a, even if it's a small group, in every one of these white communities, we do find people that hear us and they, they weigh the information and they make the right choices. But we need... We need white people to make these changes because we don't control the school boards. You know, we don't control anything in Washington or in Albany. We don't. So the fact that that we can, you know, be on the air in, in New York City or, or in, in Washington D.C. allows us to give these factual this factual information um, and uh, and and affect change. And I know it does affect change because I. I've heard back from a few politicians that I pissed off over the years because they heard the program either on WPFW or on uh, WBAI, where I've condemned them for some of their, um, you know, their their support of of racist um, actions against Native people. So I know that it I know that it happens. And I know that it works. So um, so again, I encourage you if you are again, whether you're listening on WPFW, whether you're hearing this as a podcast. Or whether you are, you know, catch, checking this out on Facebook Live, I, I encourage you to support WPFW Radio by going to two zero two five eight eight nine seven three three nine. That's two zero two five eight eight nine seven three nine. That's the number to call. An operator will take your information, and uh, and you can make a donation however you want to. Something that's timed, something a one-time donation. You know, look if you've had a windfall somewhere along the line, and and you and you can put some uh, some dollars into uh, you know everybody asks you know what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Well, one of the things you can do to help it, when it comes to some of these social justice issues is support the radio station that's carrying them. So if you want to know how to help native issues, one of the ways you can do it is supporting your own station, right in your own town. So that's what I'm asking. You can also go online to wpfwdc.org/donate. You can make a one-time donation. You can uh, become a sustaining member, $10, $20, $30 a month. And, uh, and that's, that's what our ask is. That's what we're asking, not just during our fund drives, but, 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 but essentially every week. So um, I encourage you, as you're listening to this program, to, um, to, to feel a sense of responsibility and that, that you want to support what's happening here. And you want to support what this station is doing. Not only it's great music, but it's it's great commentary on so many social justice issues. Uh, that's our ask. That's my ask. Um, I, I'm going to mention one other story. That's a big story. That again, I missed uh, being able to comment on during um, my uh, my disability here with uh, uh, with with my knee. Uh, there was a significant incident that took place in Palestine, I think it's East Palestine, Ohio. It was a train derailment. And it, it was glossed over because there was a lot of other things that were making news that were less significant than this. 
But it, is, it was a major event. In fact, it, it may be the, the biggest on-land environmental disaster that the country has ever seen. They, they haven't even been able to properly assess it. Now, what we have been calling this, and, and I've done many shows on this issue, I, you know, we call them bomb trains, because they, you, you essentially have these trains that are carrying volatile materials, explosives, explosive and flammable materials, whether it's the Balkan crude coming out of the Dakotas and uh, you know, in the upper Plains states, or whether it's, you know, whether, you know, whether it's some of this, this uh, bitumen, this, uh, this stuff that's come from tar sands oil, or frankly, materials that, that we don't even know about because nobody accounts for it. Nobody does a proper, you know, the material data safety, you know, sheets on these things. And the towns don't have a say in it. The, you know, there, there is the transportation department, but that got gutted during Trump and, and frankly, hasn't really put much in the way of regulations. And the regulations are not geared to, to harm an industry. There, in many ways, these regulations are, dear to, are there to support an industry by making sure that what they're doing is safe. But I'll tell you, if you've seen the conditions of the tracks in the United States, you know that any train is vulnerable on the, with the condition of the, of the tracks that exist in the United States. And they're de they deplorable. I mean, I've seen you know, some of the worst pictures I've seen. You can find them online. You can see just how jagged they are and, and how much a, a, a rail car has to bounce around to go over these tracks. Now, you're carrying a, 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 um, a tanker. If you've got a tanker car that's carrying something that's explosive or flammable, then that's where the name comes from, bomb train. And you know, I used to travel to New York every week to do my show, and, and I would ride on some of the same tracks as, as some of these bomb trains. Uh, once you get into the Albany area, the CSX tracks run down one side of the Hudson and the, and the Amtrak uh, um, rails run down the other side. So I, I just see them across the river. And it was disturbing. I did a couple of shows with some, um, uh, with other reporters, uh, guys like Bob, uh, Bob Henley. And he talked about not only the dangers of the bomb trains themselves, but, but, but again, what this oil industry has done with some of its waste in terms of destroying wetlands and, and that kind of stuff. But, I, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention specifically, as I live here on the, the Seneca Nation territory of Cattaraugus, there's a section of the CSX tracks that go through Cattaraugus, that go through this territory. And it runs right along, almost along the lake. So the Seneca Nation's access to, to Lake Erie is a somewhat, uh, you know, um, affected by the fact that the, the, these rails run through here. And bomb trains run on them every single day. And in fact, these bomb trains run right by the Seneca Nation's bingo hall. It, it crosses the road and runs right by the Seneca Nation's bingo hall. So what a lot of the, the debate has been over with these trains is when should they be required by law to slow down? And so what was agreed upon, I guess, was that only when they were going through uh, areas that had a population of 100,000 people per whatever would they slow down. Well, most of these tracks don't run by through population. I mean, the entire Seneca Nation population isn't that high. So they can speed through on these, on these shoddy tracks, on these shoddy rails at, you know, at dangerous speeds, carrying dangerous cargo. And you know, for me, I also think from a Seneca Nation standpoint, there should be some effort to say, look, you actually leave the United States for that period of time. You're entering the Seneca Nation territory. We want to know 
what is being transported on those rails. But, you know, we've got the throughway that cuts through. That's another terrible deal that was made. Um, they, this commerce runs through rail and the, the Interstate 90, unfettered, completely free to run through. And we don't know what's being carried, whether something's dangerous or not. We have no say whatsoever as Native people. And the Seneca Nation doesn't have any say on what is allowed to cross their territories. It just, once they, they gave the easement for the tracks and the throughway, it's like anything went, anything goes. And something, somewhere along the line, that has to change. There has to be a, be, a better effort to be more responsible to, um, to, to us as a people, but also to the environment. I mean, it's, it's crazy you know, how many watersheds, you know, this, this um, derailment in, in Palestine uh, is in the Ohio River Basin. That, that water flows down into the, into the Mississippi. The, the cloud that was created by this thing that hovered above this town was being caught up in all of the winter storms that were coming across. And pollutants were, were, were being broadcast across major swaths of, uh, of the Northeast. So the, the groundwater is, is heading south and, and, the, and the, the airborne contaminants were, were heading uh, northeast. I mean, it was really an incredible um, tragedy. And, and even now, you know, you got, you got the folks on the right that really don't want the, ha the head of uh, Pete Buttigieg as, uh, you know, on a stick, like it's somehow his fault. But nobody is actually prepared to affect changes. And, you know, the, look, they, they battle over things like infrastructure, but the rail system in the United States is, is, is an embarrassment. It's a disgrace. If you compare it to the rest of the world, I mean, it's, it's, it's really... It's really pathetic, um, and it's you know it's even it's worse than even on the Canadian side, and and they've had their issues. Like I said, this explosion you know several decades ago in in, in Quebec at uh, Lac Megantec wiped out half a town, and it killed forty or fifty people, I think. Um, but it, but it destroyed an entire village, essentially, and and that was carrying American Balkan crude you know, on the, on the rails. So there has to be more accountability here. And this is an issue that I will talk about more. I, I know I'm just kind of throwing it in because this is a fundraising show, but I also feel like there's certain things I, I got, I got to get off my chest, but I want people to, to realize that this derailment in Palestine wasn't, um, the exception to the rule. It, it happens all the time between rail cars leaking between uh, that and derailments, between inadequate um, you know, equipment in terms of routing and that kind of stuff, the, the, the deplorable shape the tracks are in in the first place. This, it's always a question of, it's kind of like what, what we've always said about the pipelines. We, we say these pipelines, it's not a question if they will leak, it's a question of when they will leak. Well, same, same thing goes with these, these trains. Rail is not a safe way to, to carry dangerous materials. And that's just the bottom line. But, but again, both the right and the left are really wary about doing anything that's going to impact in negatively any kind of commercial activity. So it becomes very, very difficult because those of us who are concerned about our environment and the environment, so when I say our environment, I mean the environment right around us, and, and, and the larger environment that, that impacts us all and everything from climate change to you know, uh, you know, 
sea level rises and that kind of stuff. We are fighting against big moneyed interest. And, and again, the value that, that this show has is that it's being broadcast in, within the halls of power of the United States. So again, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that WPFW carries resistance radio. And I'm counting on you, the listener, who is going to learn bits and pieces about everything from mascots to bomb trains and, you know, and a whole lot of other issues. Um, and maybe this isn't information that you thought you needed to know. But when you do hear some of it, you find you come to the conclusion that, yeah, I guess I should have known this. And you wonder where you should have been taught this. How, how should you know about what a bomb train is? I mean, how does that enter the conversation? Only at disasters? Well, well if we're going to pitch this thing uh, as a safe mode of transportation and then only kind of write off these accidents, which oftentimes never can fully remediate the, the damage, you know, it's, it's an insurance claim. You know, it's, it may be a lawsuit or two. But money doesn't fix this problem. You know, when, when you start affecting people's health and, and that health can be affected... Uh, and be impacted years later because of an incident like this. I, this, these are the dangers that we face. And WPFW gives me an opportunity to to not only address issues that we all need to be talking about anyway, but also to address it with a bit of a native view on things. That's you know kind of the way I pitch the show. You know, I, I'm not speaking to a native audience you know, specifically. Obviously, I've got plenty of native people who catch catch the program, especially as a podcast or as a, a live stream on Facebook, but I don't, I, I'm not talking to a native community specifically in Washington or a native community specifically in New York. I'm talking to the broad public. And I just think it's important that you know some of these things and that you're aware of some of the things. I got a, I got a couple of calls right after the, the, the train derailment. Man, you talked about this before. Yeah, I did. And I'm, and I'm going to continue to talk about it. And, you know, but one of the things that I got to say I, as I look out at world news and, uh, you know, and U.S. news and Canadian news, I realize that there's never an end um, to the material that I can cover on this program. But I can't, cover the pro I can't cover the material on the program if I'm not on the air. And so, again, I ask you, the listener, to support WPFW and go to their pledge line. Again, that number is 202 588 I'm sorry, 9739. Let me give it again. 202-588-9739. Or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. It is so important that you support this, uh, this radio station because of what this radio station does and because of the market that this radio station represents. Yes, it's your market. You, the listener, you, you know, just the... And look, we're, we're all very much the same. But we're, we're not, we don't live in the same place. So having this broadcast in a place like Washington, D.C., where we might just catch the ear of somebody who's going to bring up something they heard here in a conversation in, within some of those halls of power. I, I just think it's important. And, and I have to count on you, the listener predominantly in Washington, D.C., to enable me, uh, me to continue. So again... I ask that you go to the pledge line. It's 
588-9739 or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate and support this radio station. Uh, like, I, like I said, I am a bit on the mend and it is, uh, you know, it's taken me a while to, to actually even get a little more clarity, enough clarity to, to do the show. But I promise you that I am back and I will do all that I can to continue and keep the most contemporary and the most significant historical uh, information available to you uh, as you listen to us in Washington, D.C., on Facebook, wherever, and in the multiverse-sized podcasts go, I guess. So I want to thank you for, uh, for indulging me. Uh, I know fun drives are tough, and I do try to mix up at least enough conversation about what I'm doing not as a radio show host, but as an activist with a microphone, um, and what our current situation, you know, is with uh, w- with being on the air. So, I want to thank you for listening, and I want to uh, again thank you for c- your continued support. Uh, I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh. <laughs>